This is the Blueprint Security Podcast, bringing you the latest in cyber defense and security operations from top blue team leaders. Blueprint is brought to you by the SANS Institute and is hosted by SANS certified instructor, John Hubbard. And now, here's your host, John Hubbard. If you haven't been paying attention to the MITRE ATT&CK framework in the last year or so, well, honestly, you've been missing out. Within the ATT&CK framework and other supporting projects from MITRE, like the Cyber Analytics Repository, or CAR, there is an incredible wealth of information for any blue team, whether you're just starting out on your journey or a mature SOC that's been operating for a long time. In this episode of Blueprint, we talk with Lex Crumpton, the defensive lead from MITRE on the ATT&CK project, all about the details and tools that every blue team member should be aware of in the ATT&CK universe. So stick around for a ton of useful information on this episode of Blueprint. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blueprint. On this episode, uh, we have Lex Crumpton, lead cybersecurity engineer at MITRE and defensive lead for ATT&CK. MITRE's attack matrix has been one of the biggest things to hit cybersecurity in the last five years or so, maybe a little longer than that now. I'm starting to lose track in the last few years. And the uh, advances that have been made on it in those last couple of years have been amazing. I remember using it when it was very, very new. And so uh, I ran into to Lex's name uh, when I was watching AttackCon earlier, which uh, she was presenting at. And uh, when I heard she was the defensive lead for attack, I was like, that's a person we got to get on the podcast. Perfect person to talk. So welcome to the podcast, Lex. Thank you. Thank you so much. So uh, as always, I'd love to kick off the conversation with just hearing a little bit about your background, what brought you to MITRE, and then kind of a little more detail on what you uh, do in your day-to-day job. Awesome. So actually, I am a former exploitation developer for the government spaces. Um, I didn't like being offensive too much. I was like, I want to be defensive. I want to protect people. I want to protect computer systems. So I got the opportunity to tour uh, different offices within the government. And that's when I got into threat team, I mean, threat hunting, blue team windows, malware risk engineering, and digital forensics. And then from there, um, during the height of COVID, I decided I was like, I want to get out of government. And I eventually got into MITRE as a lead cybersecurity engineer. Very cool. So you started on the red team and you made a transition over to the blue team. Mm-hmm. I, I'm always interested when I hear those stories. What is it that drove you away? Uh, was there any like specific thing that you're like, you know what? Yeah, red team's not for me. Blue team is where it's at. Because I've heard a lot of different variations on that. I'm always curious what makes people switch. Because you hear a lot of people like, oh, I want to hack. I want to hack, right? Yeah. And I'm always like, blue team's really cool. So what, what was it for you that kind of brought you in this direction? Yeah, I think it was... There's a difference between being a red team developer and a red team operator. And so operators are super fast paced. You know, there's always things that are happening. But for developer space, it's like super quiet. People are to themselves. They're like in the code and that's it. And I'm very people oriented and I want to talk and I want to like discuss things. And that wasn't the space within government um, that was for me. And so I switched to blue, blue side because... I don't want to be an operator. I I make mistakes, okay? <laughs> As if anybody. And so red team operators, their environment was you can't make mistakes. You have to be 100% all the time. And that seemed stressful to me. Whereas if I was a blue team windows, I have a little bit more leniency to try different things, to be creative, to be innovative. And that fit my my personality more. 
Fantastic. Well, we love that you're on the blue side, especially now that you're doing this super important work. Um, so Miter Attack, right? Where I wanted to go with this episode was uh, for maybe the people who hadn't really implemented it as part of their security operations team. Maybe they're a team that's just getting started and maybe they've heard of it, but they haven't taken it to uh, a point where they've operationalized the wealth of knowledge that's built into this. So starting from a very you know a easy kind of general point here. How would you describe MITRE ATT&CK in, in terms of if you were going to tell a SOC or a, a defender what it is and what it's for? Yeah. So I would say MITRE ATT&CK for defenders is the IOCs you would need to know um, for different techniques, adversarial techniques, um, tactics, procedures that you can implement into your SOC, into analytics, into defensive countermeasures, and help protect those systems against known adversary techniques and tactics. So how, how would like this as a list of IOCs be something different than what you might find just kind of cruising around random blogs or uh, what you might read in your news feed or any kind of thing like that? Yeah, it's more so in a culminated area where you don't have to go through a thousand tabs and web pages to find all the information. Um, we have a team specifically and a great community that has contributed a lot of the resources and work that's in MITRE ATT&CK now. And so just having it in one place, having the descriptions, um, the specific IOCs, command lines, registry keys that you should look for, it helps kind of like narrow your scope on where you can look for information. Yeah. And I know uh, back when I was a SOC manager, this is one thing that I um, used as like a resource for making sure that I had a good coverage of the possible things that were out mm -hmm. there. Right. And I assume, is that something that, that most teams kind of leverage this as a body of knowledge for? So I would say minor tech is not all encompassing. We still leave some things out um, and we're always gaining new information every day, but it's a good start for developing coverage. So maybe that's a good question. What is in there and what's not in there? Is it a case of like what you don't know or what hasn't been codified is like, oh, this is a thing yet? Or what, what makes the difference between what you put in and what you don't? I say it's if you don't know, you don't know type of thing. Yeah. We don't know until it comes and like, oh, yeah, we were missing this this whole entire time. Just like the defensive section, um, a lot of people were focused on the adversarial technique behaviors and, and um, descriptions. But once we started adding mitigations and once we started adding detection criteria, they're like, oh, we need this. This is what we were missing. Yeah. The uh, so, so is the idea, I guess, um, if I was to paraphrase, the things that we have seen in attacks generally get put into the framework and once we know about what they are and establish them as kind of a unique method for doing something. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's just collecting what's new and, and constantly putting it in as a process is kind of what Yeah, definitely after some research and verifications, most likely. Awesome. So if we have that as an assumption, right, and all, all of the kind of tactics and techniques, uh, which we'll kind of dig into what those are in a second, um, are in there. As a brand new security operations team, how can you look at what is there right now and start to form a basis for what you should be paying attention to as a priority with maybe an organization that hasn't had a SOC before? Hmm. I would say, depending on your environment and the tool sets that you have, uh, being able to search the attack framework, you can key on specific words and techniques that apply to your environment. So what does that look like? Um, let's say a lot of people uh, or a lot of cyber attacks go through initial access, specifically in that tactic, can you find um, some of the techniques within initial access that apply to your environment? 
Um, what does it say specifically for that technique through the description? What type of procedures, um, softwares, APT groups, or any of that nature that utilize those techniques? And then from there, the mitigations and detections, um, how can you protect and detect all the malicious activity within your environment? So yeah, prioritize kind of like what applies here most and, and kind of knowing your environment, kind of matching mm -hmm. with what you're doing and there's things broken down by, you know, is it a cloud data source network endpoint, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then looking to uh, see what you know, most applies to your environment and then applying all those kind of different mitigations and stuff, which brings us to the next question, which is kind of, there's a lot of different objects and entities kind of involved. We have tactics, we have techniques, mitigations and data sources, and all that stuff keeps growing version to version, which is super, super cool. But for someone that hasn't paid attention to maybe version 10 or version 11 of attack, uh, could you give us a rundown of kind of the, the main kinds of data that are now built into the uh, attack framework? Yes. So um, let's think of it as kind of like one major cyber kill chain. The tactics are, um, those different components within the cyber kill chain. And then under that, under that is the techniques and procedures. Well, procedures are in the techniques. So tactics are the cyber kill chain type of level techniques are specifically what inside that tactic the adversary is likely to do. And then within each tactic, I mean, technique, I'm sorry, I'm probably gonna have to say this over. <laughs> um, within each technique, you have sub techniques that go further in depth. You have descriptions, um, the procedures that tell you like who's actually using this type of technique or sub-technique, mitigations, detections, like what data you should collect, what type of criteria you should be detecting and I mean, analyzing um, what type of countermeasures you can put into place to protect from this technique um, succeeding on your system and other various like metadata type of things that like help with um that specific technique yeah so we have kind of this hierarchy uh as i understand it you know we got the, the top level right tactics techniques and then once you actually find those things that are priority to you now it's those mitigations and the detections and the data sources which is the the thing you kind of lead up doing yeah uh, which now we can pay attention to as blue teamers right so Let's talk mitigations for a second. Um, what all in terms of like data components are involved in one of the mitigations for any given sub technique? Are we getting down to like the level of detail of like, look for this specific entry in this field in the log? Or is it more of a general kind of statement? Generalize. So within attack, we want to keep it to the 99% who are not technical. We want people like everyday users who don't do what we do on a daily basis to understand how you can utilize any piece within the framework itself. So whether it's techniques, tactics, uh, mitigations and detections. As far as my section and mitigations and detections, they're very generalized, um, like password policies or not opening um, or clicking links in spear phishing emails or um, doing user training and understanding that certain things um, you can and can't do within a computer system, having data backups or um, integrity checks to make sure that your system is running like it's supposed to run. And it's the same way with detections. Um, we might give little blurbs of this is the command line that you can use that you'll see, or this is the registry key that you should be looking for. But it's a generalized statement of, is it, 
Are you modifi- modifying um, what the data that's being collected? Are you um, accessing it, creation, you know, enumerating a list, um, loading, unloading modules and DLLs and those things? So if, a, if an organization kind of has a good grasp of, you know, in a list of all of the different security controls that they have, uh, it looked to me with the newest versions of attack, like that you can go in there and check those boxes on the different mitigations and have mm-hmm. that map in the other direction back to the actual tactics and techniques that you can cover. Is that one of those uh, kind of exercises you would recommend any kind of SOC go through as a way of viewing gaps or is there a better way of doing that sort of thing or how would you Ooh, good that? question i would say yes um mapping backwards so i never even thought about that before but it logically that sounds like a good idea to map backwards it's giving you the information that you need to protect yourself against that technique so by having that information can you compare it to your environment as it stands right now and say we can check all of these things off to protect um, yeah, that's, that actually sounds like a really good idea. Awesome. And I was going to kind of ask the same sort of thing about uh, data sources as well. Uh, some of the classes I teach is, you know, they're all SOC-related things. And mm-hmm. it's what are the data sources we actually need to be able to pick up this stuff. Uh, when MITRE had announced you were going to do the data source and data components mapping, I was like, thank God, this is, I'm so <laughs> glad I'm not doing this work, but I'm so glad that someone is doing this work because that seems like it would be incredibly complex, mm-hmm. incredibly difficult to do, but now amazing now that we have that. Um, with the difference, uh, or with the different kind of object types, we've got data sources and data components. Mm-hmm. And for any technique and any kind of detection, uh, there is a mapping now for if you want to catch... I don't know, scheduled tasks or whatever, right? Now we break it all the way down to this is the exact kind of data uh, that you need with those two items. Can you explain kind of data sources versus data components and the level of specificity and what you might expect from those two types of data? Yeah, so data uh, data sources is kind of like the object that you're going to collect. So whether it's processes, files, registry keys, network information, and then data components is essentially the action of what that object is doing. So you have files who are being created, you have registry keys that are being modified, you have um, network traffic, whether it's flow or the actual contents that you're looking for. So like IP addresses, port numbers and things of that nature, um, that's how you correlate it. And then within each detection description, sorry, is the little tidbits that you would need to know to kind of help you understand what that action is for that object. Yeah, something that really helps, I think, uh, teams that are especially maybe newer at doing this understand exactly what they need to have. Mm -hmm. Um, A very, very cool way of breaking it down, uh, you know, command as a thing that maybe you collect versus command execution or whatever it is, right? Like that kind of granularity as something that's in there now uh, for listeners. If you hadn't seen it recently, definitely go check that out because that's a really cool thing. And that's, that's kind of the same thing I was getting at with the mitigations kind of mapping from here are the data sources that we have and therefore here are the things we can potentially pick up um if you're trying to visualize kind of all this stuff and put it together because you're going from both directions right you're saying well what do we need to cover based on threat intelligence based on tactics and techniques and then you have the here's what we can potentially cover given the data that we have given the mitigations that we have in place is there an easy way to mesh all of that together and create one cohesive picture on what a map uh, of what's left would look like 
That's actually something I'm working on now. How does this all work together in the bigger picture for a defensive posture? And so um, that leaves in line, like, how can we create a revolving circle that contributes back to attack techniques and growing their descriptions in um, what you can find in CTI reports or in the wild? And how do we build better uh, analytics, behavior analysis, um, other frameworks for like uh, mitigations or security controls that help produce more information for the cybersecurity community as a whole. So I see it as a revolving door. Like um, we come in, we get CTI reports, we pull out the IOCs, which goes into attack techniques. And from there we can do um, detection analysis and environment sandboxes and things of that nature to figure out what you need to find specifically. And then also we can pull from those IOC, I mean, those CTI reports as well to figure out like, oh, we can see this in the wild. Let me look at the alternative of how to detect it in the wild as well. And that feeds into building analytics, building behavior analysis or behavior reports and then that essentially feeds back into, okay, now what's the next cyber attack? And does that, what we just did, all the work, protect against it, detect against it, um, to move back into that cycle of life. We'll be back after a quick break. If you're enjoying this episode, then you're undoubtedly interested in building the strongest security operations team that you can. For those who want to go even deeper, did you know that SANS has not one, but two courses that cover security operations centers as well? For the leaders, managers, and directors out there, my co-author Mark Orlando and I offer 551, Building and Leading Security Operations Centers. This course covers building your team, your physical and virtual workspace, getting the right data into your tools, and then focusing on security priorities through everyday execution of important security tasks and building the best SOC team possible. For the technical practitioners out there, my course SEC 450, Blue Team Fundamentals, Security Operations and Analysis, is designed to cover everything you need to jump in being the best SOC analyst that you can be. We cover important data types, SOC tools, security logs, malware, analysis technique, automation, and much, much more. In addition, if you want to prove you can deliver the best on any security team, both courses have an accompanying certification available from GIAC. That's the GSOM for 551 and the GSOC for 450. Check out both courses and free demos available on the SANS website. You can get registered today for an in-person course at one of our many events, or go to On Demand and take either class anywhere at your own pace. Thanks for listening. Yeah, and, and speaking of analytics, though, that was another thing I wanted to kind of ask you about is uh, the, the Cyber Analytic Repository, or CAR, as <laughs> Andrew calls it, is one of the other uh, projects that you uh, are a lead of, correct? Yes. And can you describe a little bit about what that is and what's in there as opposed to the MITRE ATT&CK framework and how those two kind of blend together? Yeah, so the Cyber Analytic Repository is pretty much all the analytics that a defender can use to detect any of the MITRE ATT&CK techniques. Um, specifically MITRE ATT&CK techniques. And so we get contributions from all walks of life, Splunk, Elastic, uh, Sigma. We have some pseudocode in there, and then we make some of our own uh, car analytics in our own language. And we pretty much utilize any of the information in TAC, any information from CTI reporting, and build, um, what would you say, like detection criteria at a more in-depth level um, to help defend your systems. 
So the, the organization of those, when you dive into those, there's, again, a lot of very granular kind of sorting into different domains and things like that. Uh, can you talk about some of like the, the individual like data piece? Like I know there's a hypothesis, the domain, like the other kind of bits of, of those analytics. Can you talk to some of those uh, as well? Yeah. So pretty much um, the hypothesis is what we think would work towards detecting your environment um, or building the analytic towards your environment. The next thing is the description, kind of like the adversary tradecraft, the detection um, description on what specifically you will see when you're trying to use this analytic to detect. And then um, there is um, mappings back to attack techniques through the, the technique IDs, um, the tactic IDs, um, what type of analytic it is. So is it more of a TTP focus, situational awareness focused, um, the platforms that this analytic will work on. So network-based, host-based, and I'm pretty sure there's other criteria in there that I'm missing, but <laughs> there's a lot of good information in there. Yeah, there's, there's an incredible amount of stuff. And, and again, for any team that hasn't seen this or hasn't, uh, wasn't aware of it, right? CAR is one of those things that's a goldmine for like, okay, I know I need to find this technique, but like, mm -hmm. I don't know how to write the rule, right? That's there now, right? At least in pseudocode version, if not in a very product specific version that might be yep. very similar to what people need. So again, an amazing resource for being able to connect kind of all the dots here uh, on that sort of thing. If you've been with us through season one and two, you've undoubtedly heard me talk about some of the courses that I've authored for SANS that are near and dear to my heart as a lifelong blue teamer. What you may not know is that every year and multiple times per year, these courses continue to get better. One of my favorite classes to teach is SEC 450 Blue Team Fundamentals, which is a technical class I designed for anyone working as a cybersecurity analyst for teams large or small. We've continued to update the class and bring in new information on the newest threats, data, and protocols that any defender needs to be aware of. In the most recent course refresh that went live just about a month ago, I've continued to hone the content, diving further into cloud defense, automation examples, detection for modern attacks and attackers, including common things like ransomware and much more. And we've also brought increased focus on new and more difficult to monitor network protocols like HTTP2 and HTTP3, DNS over HTTPS, and TLS 1.3, things that every blue team needs to be familiar with or will need to be very soon. Every version of this class comes with continued focus and updates, and this class is huge. I don't know of any other security operations course out there that contains nearly a thousand pages of slides and notes, 15 hands-on labs with a virtual machine to go with them, including another 400 pages of step-by-step -step exercises for those hands-on exercises, video walkthroughs of all of those exercises, MP3s, a course wiki, and a whole day CTF where you can apply the skills you've learned in class throughout the week. My goal with this class is to bring you the absolute most comprehensive security operations and analysis course possible. And I'm continuing to strive with every release to keep updating the course and deliver on that mission. The depth of content in this course is something that SANS is uniquely positioned to deliver. And I hope you'll check it out if you have a free moment. Go to sans.org slash sec450 to check out the free course demo, which is a free full section of the course and an in-depth syllabus to see if it's right for you. We have options to take it live in person, live online, or at your own pace with SANS On Demand. And unlike some other training courses, SANS and I are there to help you along the way with personalized help and explanations for any questions you may have. 
With the recent release of the GIAC GSOC certification, anyone that takes the class can now get the corresponding certificate that shows that you've put in the work and have what it takes to go head-to-head with modern attackers. I really think we put together something special here, and I hope you check it out. Thanks for listening, and now on with the show. On those analytics, um, I guess this is kind of a tangential question, but one thing that, that students are always asking in class is like the usefulness of, I would say, host-based data versus network data as things become more encrypted and then, you know, the cloud service-based data. Is there any trends that you're seeing in terms of the types of analytics that are being contributed in the car? Are we leaning more towards network host or any particular, any, any trends you're seeing? That is a good question. So I'm specifically more host-based as opposed to network-based, and I feel with the mindset of um, an already breach mentality, you have already bypassed the network level. It's just another way to detect that somebody has gained initial access into your system or having a leg up into your system in the first place. And so having more host-based analytics or behaviors for me is kind of like the cream of the crop because that's my background, (laughs) but I feel like that's a biased opinion, so. Yeah, I mean, host-based, <clears throat> excuse me, to cut that out. <laughs> okay, there we go. Host-based analytics uh, are one of those things where there's a ton of detail, right? But there's so much different information. Yeah. Uh, have you seen host-based analytics maybe change or with the types of attacks that have been done in the past? Because I know, like, you know, from my past years, a lot of times it was like, you know, PowerShell was a super hot way of attacking for a while, and then people started paying more attention to PowerShell. So then they're like using C Sharp and .NET stuff and all this yeah. other kind of thing. Are the host-based analytics themselves getting harder to write, or are you having to find yourself dive like, deeper into more complex data sources to detect attacks now? So I would say... It is getting harder only because me as a defender wants it to be that way. So coming from a developer background, building exploitation tools, going into uh, seeing operate like red team operations, and then having the opportunity to uh, experience different fields within a SOC, like the blue teaming windows, the threat hunting, and then digital forensics where I can get a more in-depth look. I would like to build analytics that have that in-depth look because there's not only one way. Defenders themselves have to know a lot of different ways where red teamers or adversaries only need to know that one way. So having the different levels of what you can find on a host, whether it's through the user level, the kernel level, um, that midway level in between the both of them, it, it helps us in the long run because it gives us more information to help defend our systems. Do you think that the products that are coming out nowadays that are you know getting a whole lot of pickup, right? EDR, XDR, all of those things. Do you think that's moving the needle in terms of the ability to detect attacks, or maybe would a well-instrumented system with a Sysmon or something like that potentially still be able to catch a lot of this stuff? I would say yes, definitely yes. It gives us the opportunity to learn from their collected research. So they see a lot of the things that's in a while in the wild that we are not able to see as researchers or as users who don't have the money or complex systems that they do. So by them collecting the information, it lessens the load for us to just do the research to do the more in-depth um, look onto what they're actually collecting. 
Do you have uh, uh, like kind of tie-ins with some of those vendors where they're like pitching your you kind of like new trends and things that they're seeing from uh, host-based attack? Really, any kind of attack? Like, are those kind of? Yeah, so that's one of the other parts of MITRE is we have uh, MITRE Ingenuity that does evaluations. And so we do a purple teaming activity where we get to see kind of like, well, we develop emulation plans that they would use, and then they would put their EDR tools within our, within our environment. And from there, um, we get to attack the, the environment and see how their tools interact with either our emulation plans or what specifically they're collecting. So with that information, you know, we have the gambit of what we can see within the cybersecurity community. What uh, what kind of other stuff is Ingenuity uh, kind of into here that might be of, of interest to the listeners here? Because I, I saw your bio, like you had some uh, work that you're doing with the, the whole Ingenuity kind of effort or Ingenuity effort as well. And uh, it looked like there was a lot of great stuff going on there. Um, mm-hmm. What would be relevant to, you know, cyber defenders and listeners to this podcast? Definitely our Center for Threat Informed Defense. So it's a lot of um, really smart people who work with uh, commercial companies. So like CrowdStrike, FireEye. Um, Google, Microsoft, and we put our brains together to develop tools, frameworks, um, systems that will help uh, defenders either collect information, gain more knowledge about what's happening, um, protect against other things. So like one really good project is we map the NIST 800-53 mitigations to attack techniques. And so now we can have a better listing of security controls that we can utilize across uh, enterprise, attack enterprise. Um, One thing that I was involved in is building a web-based calculator to kind of help prioritize uh, attack techniques based on frequency analysis, um, the flow of attack and actionability. So mitigations and detections per analytics or per technique, attack techniques. So that's very interesting. Uh, prioritization of things, is that based on kind of like all attacks that have been documented by these vendors and whoever's contributing to that? And if so, what are you seeing as the priorities? <laughs> um, so it was various, various different resources, um, CTI reports, um, collected data from another Center for Threat Informed Defense project called Sightings. And so they collected like in the wild data from vendors who wanted to contribute and then other research through what's actually what you can Google through like detection analytics that are out there, mitigation security controls that are out there per um, map back to attack techniques. Is there and I I did see on I think it was the GitHub uh, page for the data sources uh, kind of project that Mm -hmm. there was a list of if you had that data source, how many different techniques could you find, right? Is that the kind of thing that you're also looking at that with, but maybe from the uh, the sightings and how many, uh, you know, people have actually done that kind of attack sort of way? Like we're trying to figure out, you know, in the uh, absence of a specific industry or whatever, like what are the things that are providing the most coverage? uh, Yeah. Just apply them. Yeah, so within um, the web-based calculator per technique, um, how many times can, have you seen it in the wild? How many times um, or how many different analytic repositories and um, let's say NIST 853 or a security controls, how many security controls per those two different avenues um, are already mapped back to attack? 
And then um, essentially through the flow of attack, can you look at, um, let's say a kill chain of, or um, the attack of how, what am I trying to say? The flow of attack on how like an adversary goes through their activity. And if you cut that line or that, that kill chain, um, can you deter or um, stop that attacker from moving forward? And so what does that look like with the techniques that come before that cut? And what does that look like with the techniques coming after that? And per that, can we build kind of like a algorithm of a sort that says that this technique is important so that if we cut it, we should kind of like weight it higher. Um, and then there's also user input through like monitoring tools that you have, network processing file, um, or specific uh, keyword searches through your domain. So are you worried about more cloud-based techniques? Are you worried about more host-based, Windows-based, Linux-based um, techniques or anything like that? So that sounds super cool and kind of similar to, uh, I guess, an analogy or something I was just reading about. I don't remember what context this was in, but someone was making the, the comparison of a cyber attack to, you know, driving from New York to L.A. or, you know, whatever, some very far distance. And there's a whole bunch of ways to get there, of course, yeah. to accomplish whatever it is you're doing. And, you know, you could block one highway, but it's probably going to be another route that someone could take to get from one to the other. However, if you block the driveway and the car can't back out of the garage in New York, right, you're you actually choked it off. So it sounds like what you're doing is trying to find, is there a common choke point or at least a more effective spot that you can say like, this is gonna be the disruptive place that will really slow it down. Yep, that's exactly what we call it. We call it a choke point. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So that's uh, that's research that's ongoing now. Is that gonna be, uh, is that published already or in any sense or are you it, working on that and it's going to be? It is already published. There's a GitHub repository that released um, our actual web-based calculator and then our behind the scenes Excel document that explains the algorithms that we utilize. We do have a methodology documentation that explains further in depth the algorithms, the math behind it, the reasons why we pick those certain things. And this is definitely a space to contribute to, to help us grow this project because finding out what to prioritize for defenders is super, super important because there's so much information out there. So any way that helps make my job easier is, is okay in my book. Yeah, we'll have to get the uh, the links from you after after the discussion here, and we'll get them put in the show notes. Um, yeah, that sounds like something that would be really complex because are the choke points, how do you note choke points when everyone's environment is different? Or is that what the, the spreadsheet and the, the calculator for is like you put in your own detail and then it tells you? Yeah, so choke point for us was super subjective only because there's not a lot of information about it. So what we did is we looked at every specific techniques. Actually, we looked at tactics that seemed um, more likely to have higher choke points. So execution, definitely if you don't have execution, um, the adversary, what are they doing? They're not doing anything. Or what was another one? Discovery, some of the C2 or um, exfiltration tactics, um, initial axes. If we look at those and then those techniques within those tactics, um, we should see a high count or a mid count of techniques that come before it. So what has to happen before this technique and techniques that can potentially happen afterwards um, running that that choke point technique. Yeah, that's that's a super cool way of looking at that. Um, I, I imagine lateral movement is probably another one. It's like if you were yeah. in a 
you know, purely in an academic sense, zero trust environment and lateral movement just can't be done, then, mm -hmm. you know, you either hack that machine directly and it has what you have or there's nothing else you can do, right? Yeah. Uh, are you seeing any kind of um, results that would point to, uh, you know, building up these zero trust kind of networks and like, like data that would say, you know, as we further isolate, that is a hard and fast way we can say, yep, that is a great way to cut off and, and build these choke points? I think that's hard to do, specifically in this time, maybe something later. But for now, um, technology is always changing. And because of our research is so subjective, not a lot of it is concrete. We can't specifically tie a number to attack techniques. And you know, the adversaries are always changing their mind. They're always trying new things. And so how can we quantify um, prioritization when the future can always change. Yeah, yeah, that's one of those things with cybersecurity is it's it's never over and, and things are constantly you know, ground shifting underneath you. Um, to that point, if people are finding things in their environment and they're looking at you know the attack framework and it's something that's not noted in any way there, is there a way of contributing and submitting those kind of suggestions to uh, MITRE? Yes. So contributing back to MITRE ATT&CK, specifically their email address, there is a way that you can contribute um, attack techniques. You can contribute back to my sec section specifically, um, uh, defensive countermeasures that you have found in the wild that I might have missed or my analysis or analytics, like specifically write up the analytics, send it to me so that we can test and verify it mitigation frameworks that we should be looking at. So currently we have what's an attack and then the mappings to the NIST 800-53. Should we be looking at um, other frameworks like privacy framework or um, the security controls? Should we be implementing those things? System hardening. I know that's a major thing that people are looking for. So any of these the ideas that help defenders send it to me, okay? <laughs> and I will try my best to get it into attack so that we we as a community can utilize it. Yeah, the uh, uh, I think I imagine that the community contributions are a huge part of the success for the attack mm -hmm. framework to, to make sure you can get as much data as we do know about kind of all stuffed in there. So yeah, I mean, what we've got here, it sounds like is a very, very all encompassing, just, uh, you know, we've got mappings from different frameworks to tactics and techniques across, you know, the kill chain or whatever you want to call it. Um, tactics and kill chain are a little bit you know, different thing, a little bit overlapping, a little bit not, but all the techniques you can get out of that, those lead you to mitigations and detections, which leads you to data sources for how yeah. to do that, which leads you to cyber analytics, which, you know, the specifics on that. It's a full kind of resource right for for anyone especially that doesn't have the ability to uh create threat intelligence or put this all together themselves right uh what you know one of my favorite things and, and that's probably you know it's caught on i'm sure as as it has in the last few years such an awesome source of data um any tools to work with all of that data other than what we've talked about i know like uh the attack navigator is one that i'm always pointing people at as a way of uh, visualizing or anything like uh, you know, mapping out what's there or what they need to do. Is there anything like that or other kind of new tools that have been developed recently, scripts, really anything that people should know about? I don't know yet. They're still developing specifically for defense. So I have no idea. That's something that if people are interested in, contribute that idea and see if we can create something that will help in those areas. Yeah, there's the other like... Um, 
uh, like I've seen tram right as a way of automatically like extracting inf like those kind of tools. But there is know, tram, any, yes. Uh, mm -hmm. Defensive kind of stuff. For those that aren't familiar, tram, uh, at least in, in my way of describing it, would be AI reading the article for you and automatically kind of extracting TTPs from a report. Right? Is mm -hmm. that accurate? Yep. It pretty much pulls out um, specific keywords or attack techniques and kind of like gives you that list of all the things that's in there. Do you have any time with the uh, the defend matrix that was just created? I have spent some time with it. Um, we always get the question of, are we going to integrate it together? That answer is um, currently not right now, only because of the maturity of defense. So we're waiting for it to be a little bit more robust and what they're trying to say and the things in their framework before we can try to implement it. Gotcha. And I guess I should have said before we jumped into defend, what, can you describe what defend is as opposed to uh, uh, attack? Um, so defend is kind of like, who words? Okay, defend is kind of like the framework that has um, isolation criteria, objects, techniques, I don't know what the word is for them. <laughs> um, Defensive actions of various sorts that Thank you. Yeah. Defensive actions, um, a lot of hardening actions, um, isolate actions, deceive actions, and they kind of help with uh, them and might engage kind of go back and forth with each other for the kind of deceive the adversary type of perception. Um, yeah. Yeah. One of those things is I guess maybe it would be techniques defenders might be able to take to disrupt and, and stop an attack. Yeah. Disrupt, progress. deceive. Yeah. yeah deter. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of those things I've been kind of slowly watching and, and seeing where that's going, because that seems like that could be a great kind of counterpart to the the attack piece of it. All right. Um, so I think we've covered most of the uh, kind of components of the attack matrix, cyber analytics, repository, ingenuity. Uh, anything else you want to kind of shout out or mention that's important for defenders to know about really any of those projects before we close it up? Um. Well, actually, I should have read my notes, but there are a lot of different projects within MITRE that um, help with the expertise and effective threat hunting or threat informed defense strategy. So, of course, we have attack and we have defend and engage, but there's also, um, you know, Caldera, the 11 strategies for the SOC book that they just came out with, um, CVE, CWE, um, CAPEC all these acronyms, <laughs> but also the ones that I talked about earlier is um, the Center for Threat Informed Defense and all of their projects that they come out with. We have uh, MITRE Attacks Defen Defender, which is training on attack and various other different things. And then MITRE Evaluations, which we get to experience with other vendors and um, testing their tools or um, going doing purple teaming activity. So there's a lot of different I mean, projects, a lot of different frameworks that MITRE has that will help in the defensive strategy. And um, it gives vital information to kind of like thwart the intruders and build resiliency against future attacks. Yeah, there's a ton of extra stuff out there that we could probably turn into, you know, weeks worth of episodes. So yeah, this is really just scratching the surface on that. Yeah. Uh, if people want to get in and, and we'll get all those kind of links and, and put them in the show notes as well for those uh, who are listening. Uh, for those who want to reach out to you, whether they have contributions or otherwise ask you questions about what they heard here, uh, how can we get a hold of you? Ooh, Mighty Attack, um, with on social media, 
everywhere. <laughs> Twitter specifically is a good place. LinkedIn's a good place. Um, specifically for me on Twitter is Lex on the Hunt. And then you can always email to attack at mitre.org, I believe is the email address. Um, those are yeah, those are the platforms. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Lex Crumpton, for being on Blueprint. And thank you very much for your contributions to all of this very, very detailed and super useful data. Uh, the Blue Team community is much, much better for it. So a uh, huge thanks for all of that and for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you.